It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Hey, Carrie here. Going to be honest, I hated my vocals on this one, hated the sound of my voice, and I even hated even more what I said. So hopefully this one is short and sweet, and feel free to fast forward through Yours truly. Someone stop me. I think maybe we should do this every day. I have an amazing documentary about this guy who flew a helicopter on his own, ditched it in the water after tossing his wife and kid on board an aircraft carrier. It's amazing. What is that documentary? My dad flew a, a Chinook helicopter in the South Vietnamese Air Force. He had been waiting for orders, but his captain had, you know, basically just left. So he and some other pilots picked out the best Chinooks and took off. He said it was the Wild West at this point. Just you and your horse and you just do what you had to do to survive and take care of your family. He had given my mom a heads up that if she did hear a Chinook coming to get ready. I was six and a half years old. I can still hear the rumbling, very you know, familiar rumbling of a Chinook. When you hear the Chinook coming, you know it's coming. I knew my dad was coming. In Saigon during my childhood, it was like, say, living in the middle of busy uh, LA. So there's really not a big area to, to land the, the Chinook. So he came in and landed in a play field caused a lot of wind, caused a lot of commotion. My mom grabbed my little sister, who was about six months at that time, and I have a little brother who was about three or four years old, myself. We quickly ran into the Chinook, and uh, we all flew off out into the Pacific Ocean. My dad was afraid for not having enough fuel for a lot of things. He was just flying blind. And then he saw a ship out there. In the middle of the day, after we had taken those first helicopters aboard, this huge helicopter called a Chinook, they came out and tried to land on the ship. Oh, we almost, the thing almost crashed on board our ship. This big Chinook showed up. There's no way he can land on Kirk without impacting the ship. He, he would have killed everybody on this helicopter, plus my crew. It was way too big to land. We thought that the helicopter would just fly away. But as the ship was moving forward, probably four, five, six knots, something like that, the pilot communicated that he was running low on fuel. He opened up the port side of the helicopter and he hovered across the stern of the Kirk. Then all of a sudden, here comes a human. One by one, we jump out. I jumped out, my brother jumped out. My mom was holding my, my sister. Obviously very scared. And she just, you know, just trustingly, just with one hand, with her right hand, holding on with her left to brace herself, you know, just dropped uh, my baby sister. One fellow standing there and 
He said he looked up and he saw this big bundle of stuff come flying out, and it was a baby. It was the one-year-old baby. And then the mother jumped out, and he caught her too. Then the pilot flew out on our starboard right side. He hovered with his wheels in and out of the water. He hovered there for like 10 minutes, and we couldn't figure out what he was doing. It turned out what he was doing was taking his flight suit off. Here's a man flying a twin rotor helicopter by himself. At the same time, he's taking off a flight suit. How you do it? I, I've talked to helicopter pilots, and they can't figure out how he did that. You know, how, how, like a Houdini trying to get out of this thing. And finally, he made the helicopter roll to the right as he stepped out the door on the left. Thunderous, loud noise. The shrapnel is just blowing up. Suddenly, just quiet. And he pops up, and he's alive. And he swam away. The helicopter was only about 20 feet from him when it hit the water. It was amazing. We went out, picked him up. He was none, no worse for the wear. He's a little bit wet. Only one unfortunate thing is he had some small bars of gold, which was all his worldly possessions, that were in his shirt pocket that sank. So he lost everything. He didn't, he didn't own a thing but his underwear when he finally came aboard his ship. He was a, a tremendous pilot. The guy was just so cool and calm. We've so far taken a total of 17 helicopters we ended up with 157 people aboard the ship. And these Marines, they they got left behind, on, and they're trying to get out of the top of this building, and 13 of them were left behind, and all mm -hmm. these people were storming the embassy, trying to leave, and the mm -hmm. people that helped us got taken to concentration camps. I mean, it was terrible. Last Days in Vietnam, it's okay. on PBS, The American Experience. You've got to watch it, and then okay. let me know what you think, because... It it really, I have a fear of getting left behind by yes. my country and just being like, like that happened in Vietnam. Like, do you know when I went over to um, Croatia and Bosnia, I had nightmares for years after that about because we would hear the gunshots at night, we'd hear the bombs, and I'd have to sleep on the floor with the mattresses again. I had nightmares that they were going to come to our house in Sterling, and my parents were captured. I for. I can't even imagine what a soldier goes through. I cannot even imagine the PTSD that a soldier goes through. Oh, I don't I don't blame you. And I think we have really good ethics with our military that we never leave a man behind and all that. What was I just watching recently? Oh, I just watched Honor, or not Honor, Devotion. It was with Glenn Powell and it's based upon the true story of the one of the first black pilots <laughs> and how they were shot down by the Chinese during the Korean War. I think it was the Chinese because it was right on the border. I think it is devotion. They had to leave him because they couldn't fly in the dark. And they were saying they think he died soon after. And and he's been fighting for years because it's in North Korea. The pilot for years oh, was trying to get God. his body back. I got to watch that because my dad worked on uh, in Korea. He was part of the ground crew at one of the Air Force bases. And he... A pilot made a crash landing and could not get out of his cockpit. 
and they were trying to pry open the canopy and my dad watched this guy burn to death. And my dad never, never forgot that story. He always talked about it. He goes, I wish I could, even before he lost his ability to speak, you know, when his dementia really came in, that was coming up so frequently. Oh my God, I wish I could have saved this guy. I'll never forget what his eyes were. Like he watched him literally burned. So so that's so, and I mean, our soldiers go through so much PTSD. If you're on the front lines, if you're not on the front lines, I will give it to Harry. If he really did go through that PTSD shooting 25 people, he should have been in therapy immediately. And or the rest of his life, by the way, because that's horrific. We don't have to end with that. That's uh, end with something else. I don't even want to give him Oh, about Harry. Yeah. He crash landed on a rocky slope, many miles behind enemy lines. There's no question in mind of any of us, but that uh, he perished in that crash. Then we saw that Jesse had opened his canopy and waved to us, let us know that he was alive, but he stayed in the aircraft. And his legs were pinned inside the wreckage. It appeared that the instrument panel and other parts of the airplane had trapped his legs, and that's why he was unable to get out. Tom Hunter, who was Jesse Brown's wingman, made a decision to crash land his airplane on a rocky slope behind enemy lines in the snow, 20 below zero, to see what he could do to save Jesse. I didn't ask permission. It's something I thought had to be done, and I felt that it was it was worth the risk to do so. I just said, I'm going in. Jesse Brown had come a long way from his home in Mississippi. When he was growing up, few expected blacks to become anything but farmhands. But Jesse Brown had a, a different vision. He was able to see beyond what white people told black people they were. And one day when they were picking cotton, he saw a Navy airplane fly over, a blue aircraft. And he said, someday I'm gonna fly one of those things. They all started laughing and one of the, one of the other people in the field said, yeah, and I'm gonna be the president of the United States. Brown persisted in his dream and was the first black man to be trained as a Navy pilot in 1948. Integration was new to the military and old school attitudes remained. Immediately, there was all sorts of opposition to who was going through the program. Instructors would tell him right to his face that he'd never get through. They had no problem at all using the N-word when instructing him instead of his name. But people who knew him always liked him. He was a very popular fellow. Brown was a loyal friend a good pilot, and a devoted husband to his wife, Daisy. Other pilots began to see beyond his skin color. When Brown crashed in Korea, Thomas Hudner didn't hesitate. I just made a decision to make a a landing close to Jesse's airplane. The wheels were up. He crash-landed fairly close to Jesse's plane. And I got over to his airplane, and his comment to me, when he saw me coming was, we've got to figure out a way to get out of here. No panic. The aircraft had buckled and it pinned his right knee. Hudner could not free Jesse by himself. 
so we radioed for help. The helicopter landed, and Tom Hudner and the helicopter pilot went over, and they tried a lot of different things to get Jesse out. He just couldn't do anything. They would need much heavier equipment to pry him out. Darkness was falling, and worse weather was moving in. And I told Jesse, Jesse, we're going back to get some equipment to pull you out of the airplane. And Jesse's last words to Tom Hunter were, If anything happens to me, tell Daisy how much I love her. And of course it did. Three days of bad weather ensued, making it impossible for rescuers to return. Jesse Brown died in his airplane. Weather cleared, fellow Navy pilots returned to give him a warrior's goodbye. Jesse Brown's shipmates dropped napalm on both airplanes and gave him a Viking funeral. Here's a Valkyrian salute to somebody we all love. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. me again and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at miss intrigue pod follow us on pinterest and flipboard where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty chronicles of interesting events in history and of course true crime lastly check out our youtube channel because everyone has one right That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out MissDeedsAndIntriguePodcast.com. But we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as-is basis with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue Podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube, or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, 
please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.